the DNA of higher education is really good. We're always making adaptations. We have to do changes. Sometimes we have to change midstream. This is nothing that is going to break us. It's not uncommon. We're actually good at adapting to what we need to adapt to. And so the first is that we are going to have adaptive change continue doing what we're doing, but with these slight changes based on those things that I mentioned. And then the other is this idea of disruptive change, which is like, hey, things are very broken and the new iteration of higher education is going to look very, very different from what we're used to. It's a different being. It's a it's a completely different change. It's going to make everything else um, look really different. And so both of those need to be considered as we're thinking about micro change as well as that macro change. Good afternoon, everybody. Hello. I am Rachel Phillips Buck. You've joined us for Cap and Gown. I'm joined by Matt Boisvert. Hello, sir. Hello. It's great to see you again, Rachel. So, uh, welcome back. Had a little break. We have taken a little bit of a break and we're back now with season two of Cap and Gown. I was trying to think, Matt, we started what last March? Is that right? Cap with and Cap and Gown. Cap and gown, although you and Anthony, we'd been doing uh, webinars regularly with Mission First with Anthony Melchiori. In March, we started Cap and Gown. And so this is our 38th episode. Wow. It's great. Pretty awesome. Um, well, thank you guys for joining us. I know some of you are joining us live. I know some of you make time in your week to join us. So thank you so much. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Matt, I don't think that we said that Ferris Resources has uh, launched our new website, I think maybe since the last time we had our podcast. So go check that out because um, there's a lot of great resources there. You can find all of those podcasts that we've done previously, as well as some things that we've written, um, lots of great resources on our website. Since the last time we were together, we have had Christmas and we've had New Year's. And for many of our friends, we are just starting the spring semester. We've moved on to 2022. So how was your break, Matt? I had a great break. Um, I mean, it was nice. I actually had a break for the most part. Uh, Took the family skiing. None of my kids had ever skied before, which is bad parenting on my part, but uh, because I love to ski. So we went up to Colorado, taught them how to ski. Uh, After three days, they're great. That was fun. Um, Went to an elephant preserve. That was amazing. And outside of Fredericksburg, Texas, three Asian elephants. Cute. Uh, It was amazing. And and of course, you know, we've, we've had fun watching football. How's your football team? Don't be rude. I've had fun watching football, but not my team. For those of you who care, I root for the Giants. It's not going great. Matt roots <laughs> for the Cowboys. He's very happy. We'll see. Um, I, I had a great, I had a great break. I stayed in my pajamas. It was 85 degrees in Texas, so it didn't feel super Christmassy. But we did watch a lot of football, so it was great. And also, you guys will remember that we did 12 days of giveaways. So I see some of our winners: Brian, Debbie, Paul. Good to see you guys. 
um, gave away a lot of great books. And I've decided we're going to make that an annual thing because I just love books and I love giving them away. So every Christmas we will do 12 days of Christmas. I love it. It it really was kind of a walk into your library and, you know, so at the end of every year, you read a lot of interesting books. That'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be great. So I'm really excited about the season of Cap and Gown. Anthony is going to be joining us again. I'm going to be joined by um, Dr. Sherry Woosley, who is such a great mind in our space, and she's going to be helpful to us. But also, I have a whole lineup of guests for us um, that I think are going to be really instructive this year. But our task today is to unveil our theme for 2022. So remember for 2020, our theme was community, which turned out to be really helpful because as we sent everyone home, we were trying to figure out how to help build community without students on your campus. Right. And then last year, we spent a lot of time in Kintsugi when everything's broken. How do we rebuild it and make it really beautiful? Um, And then we will unveil our theme for this year and talk about our books. And really, today's just going to be an introduction of what we're going to be talking about um, for the next semester and then onto the summer and then into the fall. So I'm excited about that. But first, we need to do our State of the Union. Oh, Rachel, what? So as we're in January and classes are starting, what is the State of the Union? Okay, well, first I want to tell you, Brian sent me a great resource that I cannot cover. I can't do it justice in our time together, but I want to tell you guys, um, Higher Ed Dive, and Shauna will chat it to you as well. It's called Seven Higher Education Trends to Watch in 2022. So it covers things like how are we going to reverse our slumping enrollment? What's going to happen with politics on our campuses? What happens with federal aid? And what's Biden going to do with all of the plans for higher education? Um, COVID impacts on campus, how technology is going to impact our campuses, and then also what's going to happen with testing and admissions. So I would recommend that you check that out. It's a really good read and goes into a lot of detail about all of those things. Thank you, Brian Dawson. Yes, we have to also, you guys, I don't know, I'm happy for you to chat this to me or send me an email about this. Um, What is happening with COVID and Omicron? And so we know that there's record numbers all over. There's an article in higher ed today about um, campuses that are adjusting academic calendars. Some of them are holding the first couple of weeks online and then kind of discouraging students from coming back until later, delayed starts, whatever. There's a lot of different things happening. I'm reading about schools that are, instead of starting like yesterday, which was the date of record for a lot of our schools, they've delayed their on-campus start until January 18th, 26th, 31st. So just saying, everybody stay home while we're in the middle of this really curious about what you guys are doing. Um, Some schools are having students come back, but they are, for example, issuing a stay-in-room directive, which means students can come back but only leave their residence hall for testing meals, medical appointments, necessary employment, or to get mail. They're not allowed to have any gatherings or leave campus or the residence except for those situations, which, I mean, we are going to talk a little bit about the mental toll that this is taking on students. It just seems like a really difficult position to be in. Everybody's scrambling, trying to come up with the best thing to do. And I don't, it's kind of chaotic. 
there's that. So in better news, um, the Young College in Buffalo, New York has moved to a four-day work week for staff and administrators. So I'm really curious about this. This is a trial. So they're going to try it for six months. They have moved from a 37.5-hour work week to a 32-hour work week, and they're not reducing pay or benefits. So basically, the goal here is that it's going to help them with talent acquisition. It's yeah. going to help um, them with morale. It's really interesting in higher education because this article is talking about how we've seen faculty with really flexible schedules, but staff and administration often don't have that same kind of flexibility. So this is their attempt to try to kind of equalize that a little bit and give faculty uh, or sorry, staff and administration more flexibility. In order to be eligible for this, though, <clears throat> they are asking everybody to um, enroll in professional development to okay. level up their use of technology, because the belief is that if people can get more efficient with technology, then that reduced work week is still going to get the same result. More productive. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a nice balance of like, hey, we want you to get more proficient and more efficient. But also, we're going to give you some time off to be able to spend with your families. And I love this. You'll, you'll appreciate this, Matt. The quote in this is, if you have a staff, a happy staff, students are going to see it and they're going to gravitate towards that. Right? Absolutely. I've yeah. said that so, for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's great. Also, in State of the Union, this NIL with the NCAA has, is, it's like the Wild West. Name, nobody. Image likeness. Yeah. So nobody totally understands what this means. There aren't really clear guidelines. So everybody's kind of going crazy about it. Um, Brigham Young has the whole football team signed a team NIL deal with the protein bar company. So if you were on scholarship, you were getting a thousand dollars in this deal. Okay. If you are not on scholarship, then you Built Bar, which is the name of the protein bar, is giving teammates a stipend that will cover the cost of tuition for one year. So the reason there's wow. this, this discrepancy is because the NCAA says that there are some rules about scholarship limits for a football team. So they can't just, somebody who's already getting a scholarship, they can't just give them more because there's a yeah. limit on that. So yeah. that's kind of an iffy thing people are looking at trying to figure out if they're breaking the rules or not. Um, University of Miami also did a whole team deal. This is really interesting because the football players are earning money promoting a chain of gyms on social media. And everybody is like, hey, we don't think that that's legal because it asks for the football team to deliver a specific thing, which is social media posts. But some of the football team doesn't have social media. And so when you're getting money, but you're not delivering, delivering anything specific, it's called pay to play. And that is illegal. And that is what took down SMU back in the day. Right. So everybody is trying to figure out, like, if you don't provide a service, but you get money from this company, is that legal or is that not legal? So, um, so. Related to that, Rachel, there's the story of the Oklahoma quarterback. So. One of the crazy things happening right now is the transfer portal. Uh, so if you're a, a football player, you have um, the ability to transfer to another team instead of having to sit out this year. 
and more and more athletes are entering the transfer portal. So the Oklahoma quarterback, um, let's see, who was this? Uh, Caleb Williams. He, he played, he was a freshman at University of Oklahoma. Yeah. He announced that he was considering transferring to another program. And so Charlie Batch, who was an NFL quarterback for the Detroit Lions, tweets back, hey, do you want a million dollars to play, to be become an Eagle at the uh, Eastern Michigan University, um, join the team. His, wow. his uh, investment firm will pay him a million dollars. So it is a little like the Wild West. You can make a lot of money now as a college athlete. Seriously. I think the interesting thing in that is, is you start to, to see that student athletes, especially uh, for these, these football players, they're really looking for the best opportunity to play. Yeah. And now they have the best opportunity to make um, uh, apparently a lot of money. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because, you know, we're always telling schools for your athletes, they're picking their sport and then they're picking scholarship and then they're picking school. And so if you are not pulling them in to all of these different pieces of community, if they have an opportunity, they're going to go somewhere else. So I think there's a lot of um, innovation around how we not only recruit our players, but also keep them if they're able to go. Although I'm telling you, if someone was like, do you want to come here and make a million dollars and I'm 18? The answer is yes. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I would yeah. like to have a million dollars when I'm 18. That would be great. Cost one money. Year. In one year. Yeah. One year. Yeah. Be awesome. Okay. okay. So that is the state of the union. Thank you, Rachel. You're very welcome. Um, so our new theme for 2022, um, we, want, we want to introduce our, our theme for the year is one word. It's simply change. And we want to unpack that today. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about change. Um, but, but Rachel, I think it would be helpful if you would just talk through when, when we were thinking through our theme. And like you said, we, we had community um, and, and how important the art of community is on your campus. And then the idea of Kintsugi for this year, why change? <clears throat> yeah. So I have a couple of caveats to this year's theme. Um, but first, I want to tell you what books we're going to be talking about for this year. We're going to pull some other resources in as well. This is a brand new book. It's called The Great Upheaval. It's by author Levine. Uh, Arthur, authored by Arthur Levine, um, and then also Scott Van Pelt. It's Higher Education's Past, Present, and Uncertain Future. So we're going to be talking about this book this year. And then also John Cotter has a new book that's called Change, How Organizations Achieve Hard-to-Imagine Results in Uncertain and Volatile Times. So we thought that that was really relevant. I think the uncertain and the volatile times piece is, yeah, yeah. that's where we are. So we're going to be leaning a lot on these two books, um, like I said, as well as bringing in some others. But I would just say, I think change resonates um, for a couple of reasons. One is the need to change. And here's the balance, I think, of change. So I'm a person who loves change. I tend towards more chaotic than organized. I like different. I like new. I, I embrace change. I think it's really fun. Um, not everybody is like that. And so 
I think there's a little bit of resistance about change. I think there's a little bit of struggle when we talk about change um, for people who, first of all, let's just be, let's just be honest, are tired. So I was telling you, Matt, like when I talk to our clients and I suggest a new thing or a change, there's just this look of exhaustion that comes over them. Oh, yeah. And is like, please don't ask me to do one more thing. I just can't. I don't have the mental energy to think about that anyway, other than just as a response. So I want for us to lay that out with change because I think it's incredibly important. Well, I think it's really important also to just acknowledge, I mean, a, a lot of that tired comes from a lot of change. I mean, there right. has already been a lot of change. So I could see someone saying like, why are you talking about change again? Yeah. Had a lot of change. So yes. And I think if we think about micro and macro applications of change, the macro application of change is we have changing demographics. So let me lay out the things that we know are, are changing. We have changing demographics. Um, we have an advance of technology. We have globalization. We also have something that's called the rise of the knowledge economy. Have you heard this phrase before, Matt, knowledge economy? Well, yes, in general, and then just talking with you today. So it's really interesting because this book defines knowledge economy specifically coming from higher education. It says higher education is the engine that powers global digital digital and knowledge economy by producing knowledge, preserving knowledge and disseminating knowledge. So in contrast to industrial economies, which are rooted in natural resources and physical labor, knowledge economies are fueled by minds and information. So that kind of economy has an endless hunger for research and demand the most highly educated citizenry and labor force in human history. So we know all those things are coming. We were experiencing those changes. And then you throw into it an unknown influence like COVID and make the assumption there are going to be some other unknown influences coming we are in the middle of a lot of macro change in higher education, um, and we're going to talk about how that can be really exhausting and at the same time is inevitable and there's nothing we can do about it, right? Yeah. right. Um, but I will say part of the reason why I was convinced to make change our theme for this year is because we have to make changes because what I'm seeing in higher education for our friends in academics and student life is completely unsustainable. Right. And we have to examine ways to regain some sense of um, the, the values, the reasons people went into higher education, the workload. You guys are wearing eight different hats because we've had to change over the last two years. And so I would make the argument that, yes, we're talking about macro change and higher education needs to be different and we're going to be innovative, but also we have to be thinking about individual people, where they've ended up at, after two years because they've been in survival mode and making adjustments to those things to be able to say, this is not a way that I can live. I either have to stop doing this job or we have to change so that it can be sustainable and I can go back to the enjoyment that I got out of this job before. Does that make sense? It does. It really does. And I'm just thinking about for our, our friends and listeners, um, you know, as, as we think about a knowledge economy, how much they know, especially about um, you know, thinking about sense of belonging and how important that is right now. 
and how they're the experts on that. And so from a knowledge economy, leadership comes from expertise right, and, right. and the ability for you to use or leverage that expertise to create great change, positive change, not a lot of the change that we've seen over the last couple of years that's been reactive yeah. and a, a, about preserving or kind of what we'll talk about fear-driven. For sure. Yep. I agree. So I do think we have a need to change both to adapt to what's happening, but then also just in self-preservation so that we have some sustainable life um, going forward. And it's really interesting. Um, this book, The Great Upheaval, is making an argument um, trying to figure out what kind of change is coming. And so there's really two different kinds of change. Uh, thinking specifically of higher education, we have adaptive change, which is where we would say like the DNA of higher education is really good. We're always making adaptations. We have to do changes. Sometimes we have to change midstream. This is nothing that is going to break us. It's not uncommon. We're actually good at adapting to what we need to adapt to. And so the first is that we are going to have adaptive change continue doing what we're doing, but with these slight changes based on those things that I mentioned. And then the other is this idea of disruptive change, which is like, hey, things are very broken and the new iteration of higher education is going to look very, very different from what we're used to. It's a different being. It's a it's a completely different change. It's going to make everything else um, look really different. And so both of those need to be considered as we're thinking about micro change as well as that macro change. I think we're starting to see a lot of adaptive change. Um, but but just in the last couple of months, I've been reading a lot about this disruptive change. Like if you look at what Google's doing with certifications and how um, they're considering one of their certifications to be the equivalent of a four-year college degree, that's disruptive. It reminds me where we are. It reminds me a lot of where we were with Blockbuster and, and you have kind of those adaptive changes of, well, we could do Redbox and we can have kind of a vending machine delivery of, of DVDs. We have Netflix that are mailing DVDs to you to offset what Blockbuster had. But then you have that massive disruptive change of like Amazon Prime Video and Netflix streaming and and, and so where are we headed with high red? Yeah, I mean, can we just be really clear that when Netflix stopped sending me my DVDs, I was very annoyed. You remember it was like there was an article in the newspaper, like, what is Netflix doing? You guys have broken your whole thing. You don't know what you're selling. Everybody loves getting DVDs. What's wrong with you? And they're like, sorry, okay, never mind. We'll send them to you. And then after a while, everyone's like, I don't know why I'm getting DVDs. This is stupid. I can just go on Netflix and get whatever I want, right? So that's a good example of like these adaptive changes. And then they break everything, which then people are really unhappy about. But it turns out in the long run to have been a really good choice. The other thing that I'll say about disruptive changes, I think disruptive change is really fun to hear about in retrospect or to think about in the future. But it is not fun to live through. (laughs) So if you just think about like the gold rush, how amazing, right? Like all these people, listen, I've just started watching Little House on the Prairie with my daughter. It is very stressful to think of like getting on a wagon with your two horses and your dog and your whole family going out into the middle of nowhere and just being like, okay, well, I guess we live here now, right? So I mean, that, that's right. And disruptive change, being the pioneer, living through that pioneering is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of risk. It's, there's a lot of uncertainty. It's why it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. 
And that it makes me think of like the macro change of something like a gold rush or the macro change of the industrial revolution. So as a whole, it worked out, right? We're like, well, we understand now how that changed our nation and how that changed families and work and prosperity and all of that kind of stuff. But the truth is for individual people, it is really, really stressful and hard. And a lot of people who lived through that had great difficulty because they were in this place of, you know, flux and not knowing and trying something new that had never been been before. And so I think there's like the the happy big idea of disruptive change, which I tend to like, again, because I said I like new and different. I think that's really interesting. But then there's the reality of living through it, which is really, really difficult for individual people because you just are surrounded by uncertainty and disruption all the time, right? Um, so before we dive into our book on change, I want to talk about some of the challenges with change. We've already alluded to the first one, which I told you came from an interview I heard this morning with superintendents of schools all over the nation. And they were saying, they were trying to decide, like, are, do they close their K-12s? Do they not? Do they get substitutes? How, what are they going to do? Because so many people are out with COVID. And they were like, you know, somebody is going to be mad no matter what we do. And I thought that is such a, that is so true. When you decide to change something, somebody is going to be mad about it. And it's going to be people who like the way it is. So why did you mess with a good thing, right? Or people where you're putting more of a hardship on them or they don't want to have to adapt. Or you're not moving fast enough. Right. Or you're moving too fast or you didn't ask their opinion and they have something to say, right? There's all of these different people and reasons <clears throat> why when you make a change, somebody's going to be pretty mad about it. Um, and so... I think we would say that the change over the last two years, like there are changes that have been made where we feel frustrated uh, with decisions that people have made. We, somebody's going to be mad, right? Either way. Right. Exactly. And so it's really interesting. Like I said, with Netflix, when they stopped sending me my DVDs, I was really mad about it. Why? Not for any good reason other than I was used to getting DVDs and that's how I lived. Right. And so one of the hard things with change is trying to figure out, are these people frustrated because of the process? Are they frustrated because it's actually a bad change? We didn't make a good decision. Or is it just something that people are going to have to get used to? And then eventually they're going to come around. And you were saying, really, that's based on outcomes, right? That's the way that we're going to measure whether our change was good or bad. Yeah, absolutely. So if if you start the process of a big change, you know, macro change, or even for your office, um, starting off knowing what those measures are going to be, how will we know if this paid off or if this put us in the in the right direction? You'll know by the outcomes. So yeah, and separating those out into short term outcomes and long term outcomes, I think, are really helpful, right? Because it's like running every morning is a change that I do not want. And in the short term, I'm right because I'm sore and crabby. But in the long run, it's probably a good idea. I'm not doing it, but it might be a good idea for me to do that, right? So separating out those outcomes to help you decide if you've made a good decision, I think is important. Um, Really? Is there more? No, no. Well, I was just going to say related, there's this article in, um, inside higher ed, which is called Why Can't Higher Education Change? 
which I think is really interesting because remember our quote about every system is designed to get the outcome it gets. So if you don't like your outcome, then you have to look at your system. And there are some systemic things that are built into higher education that makes it very difficult for us to talk about a macro change um, in that uh, institution, right? What I think is really amazing, Rachel, is we we set our theme last week. Yeah. And then today this comes out in Inside Higher Ed. Yeah. I think it's the right time. I think it's the right theme. I think we all need to start thinking about it. But um, we also have to be real about the challenges of change in higher education. And I really appreciate the way that that she broke this out. So uh, this is Kathy Johnson Boyles, who who writes about why can't higher education change. And I think if we're being honest, yeah, I love the first two pieces. It says, why is academia so conservative, risk averse, hidebound, deeply unwilling to make changes necessary to serve students in the contemporary world, all the while claiming to be searching for new models for addressing the needs of our students in a fast changing world? And she said, um, if higher education had a New Year's resolution, it would be this. This year, we're going to really change. We're going to take risks, create a new model, and keep up with the world around us. And she's like, okay, but you have things that are built in that are going to make it very difficult for you to do that. She talks about leadership, things like tenure. She talks about processes like shared governance. So thinking about, you know, the government of colleges and universities um, and their, their rules, you have to do these things. It has to be this way, right? So their process, she talks about community and tradition and, and sort of renames that buy-in. And this is somebody's going to be mad. So if we change that, alumni are going to be really unhappy. Parents are not going to like it. Students are going to be mad. Our sister institutions are going to be unhappy with us. Um, She talks about financial models. So thinking of resources in order to make changes, take risks and be nimble institutions require flexible capital, which is something that many of our institutions do not have right now. Um, And then also things like accountability in terms of oversight and accreditation. So thinking about the standards that accreditors are requiring of institutions, whereas when Google is doing, you know, these, um, what do you, what is it called? Certifications. Certifications. They don't have the same sort of hurdles that they have to jump over because they're not accredited. So really thinking through some of those built in pieces that keep higher education very stable. It's this historic institution that has always done things in this way. You know, it's as old as our country and older. And we just have some of those things built in that either have to break or we have to be really strategic with the way that we change those. So I think that that's interesting there. And then the last challenge that I think will resonate with you guys. Oh, yes. you go there, and, And if we just are honest about our colleagues, people who are attracted to work in higher education, when I first started in, in higher education, um, a relative of mine was like, you know, that's a very secure industry. <laughs> and that, I, I, that stuck with me. It was like, it's stable, it's secure. Going to be around. Just, yeah. You know, there's not a lot of turmoil in higher ed. Little did they know. Yeah, um, they didn't know. <laughs> but, but, but really, when you think about those who are attracted to higher education, I mean, there, there definitely is a part of that, that, that it's stable. It's an environment where I can 
focus on my own growth and research and right. And so it's not really, it's not like higher ed is not known for, for attracting people who are on the cutting edge of technology or for sure. cutting edge of. Yeah, Matt, you know, it's interesting because I think the two things that as we're talking about stability, higher education is an institution and that is really attractive to some people, right? Because an institution has this history and it has rules and it has value and purpose. And a lot of people going to higher education like that institution that they want to join this group of people who are trying to accomplish things and have a long history. Um, but also I will say, and maybe, maybe other industries are like this, but higher education has sort of like the, what do they call it with coaching where you can be like, here's the coach. And then he did coach has the coaching coach. free, yeah. right? A lot of higher education has that where it's like E.D. Schultz was my dean of students and I was an RA and then I worked under her and then they worked under me. And so you do have this stability coaching tree where you're trying to continue on and do like your mentors did. And um, especially if you're thinking about a faith-based institution or, you know, some of our smaller schools, there is this legacy feeling. And so the idea of change can be really overwhelming and it's the opposite of why you joined this institution with this legacy, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So the last challenge I want to talk about is decision fatigue. This, I think we are all very familiar with this. Um, I said to you that my daughter was not feeling well this morning. And so before I got to work at 830, I had already made 25 decisions because she was not feeling well. So she wakes up, she's not feeling well, take her temperature. She doesn't have a fever. Okay. She's not going to go to school. Has she been around anybody who has COVID? Yes. Her friend has COVID. Do I need to do a test for her? Do I need to call the school? What? Like before I started my day, I had all of this mental load that has nothing to do with anything I would have been do doing two years ago. <laughs> when you talk about taking her temperature, I, I don't know about you, but the number of times I've been taking temperature around the house, I mean, the number of thermometers and that, that's a whole new. Yeah. Hand sanitizer. Am I coming to work? I have a sore throat. What do I do? Do I wear my mask? Do I not wear my mask? What? So I'm just saying to you that I think the reason I get the deer in the headlights face when I say, hey, let's do something different is, oh, Rachel, can I just not have one more thing to decide on and to think about? You know, we're always talking about brain calories and it is really difficult when you are using brain calories for all of this stuff. Think about, so that's in our family, forget about at work. I know some of you guys are doing COVID stuff and you're tracking people down and you're making sure they're vaccinated and you're making sure they've turned in their paper. I mean, there, we just are so tired of having to make decisions about things that we've never had to think about before. And I would just like to have one normal day where I just don't have to think about anything. It's one of the reasons why Christmas was so relaxing for me. Cause I just stayed in my house. I'm an introvert. So I was happy about that in my pajamas. And I did not think of COVID one time because I just did what I was doing. Right. So I think we are really struggling with decision fatigue and my, what I'm hoping when I'm presenting to you guys is that maybe if we can think about change in the right way, we actually are going to be released from some of the challenges of change because we don't have the option to say, I don't want to change. 
we just don't have that option. That is happening. It's already happened. You found yourself in a place where you weren't two years ago. And so that change is inevitable. Unfortunately, the choice we have to make is not, hey, do I want to change or not? It's how are we going to think about change and use that to our advantage instead of feeling overwhelmed and like, I just, I don't know what's going on anymore, right? So as I was saying about your expertise and your craft, your area, I think this year you really have to become an expert in, in healthy change. So we've been going through exactly like you've said, we've gone through a couple of years now of a lot of different changes. And I, and I would say um, not a lot of them have been healthy to us, to our students, to our institution, um, how do we become experts and make make change part of our craft so that we can encourage, motivate other people? I, I think getting back on on track of of doing positive things. Yeah. For sure. So in this book, change, he really talks about two different uh, types of change. Um, the first one he talks about is a fear-driven change, which he calls survival change, right? So this is the idea where like a lion is chasing you, run for your life. Um, right. It's like all of the adrenaline, everything that happens in your brain, that's like, this is a stressor. We have to survive this. What are we going to do? It's very fear-driven it is, there's a threat that I have to overcome. Um, it's also very fast. So we are trying to make these decisions. We're, we're trying to outrun a tiger. And so maybe I don't make the best decision when I'm trying to outrun a tiger, but that's because I, right now I'm just trying to get away, right? This is the, um, you and I were talking about fight and flight, but also um, psychologists have added to that freeze and fawn. So fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. You either run away, you fight, you get so still because you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm totally frozen. Or you fawn, which is like, whatever the stress is, you you're like, nice cat. Like, don't, (laughs) don't chase me. I'll give you a treat or whatever to try to get out of these stressful situations. And I've said before, um, you know, in my burnout book, it's talking about not completing that stress cycle. So we were not created to live in this survival mode for any amount of time. It contributes to stress. It makes, we have adrenaline, we can't sleep. It's why stress, stress is so unhealthy because it was created so that we could run away from the tiger in front of us and then get back to an unaroused physical state and go about our lives. And so we're not being chased by tigers now. But we do have all of these stressors in our day. I have to be in a meeting with somebody who's saying a dumb thing and I can't just say you're dumb. Don't, you know, stop talking. So when I leave that meeting, I still have all of that physical arousal that's happening, which is not healthy. It's not calm and it's not peaceful. And so you have to figure out a way to release all of that so you can get back to kind of an even place. And the problem with survival change, which is what we've been doing for two years, is that it's reactive um, and we are constantly trying to solve a problem now instead of taking a step back and being like, hey, what can I do about this? Being upstream, being creative. And I think I right. think a, a big issue, you know, with a survive kind of focus is that is that it sucks all of the creative power out. The, the ability to think creatively, think long term, because you, this is an immediate, I've, I have to 
survive right now. And then once I survive, I can start thinking long-term, but right now my uh, livelihood or, or life is at stake. So, so I think that, that that's one of the, the real uh, problems that we've had and we, we've had at a lot of institutions. And let's be honest, before COVID, this was happening. For sure. Um, I mean, before COVID, universities were were um, challenged. We, we had schools that well-known, you know, closures and alumni who don't like that change and they're willing to, to put money back in. But a lot of conversation before even COVID. And I remember, I mean, you and I have been to a number of, of campuses that are operating under this survive-based change, yeah. fear-driven change. And and what we all know, it, it turns out to, well, it's driven by data, typically financial data. It's driven by enrollment data and trends. And this is where we're headed. And therefore we need to make cuts. And part of that change is guess what? You just added three more roles, right? But but you no longer have your colleagues uh, to help you. Yeah. And I remember going to one specific campus that year over year had been making these cuts. And they were just... Every the the everyone was demoralized. It wasn't just fear and anxiety. It was they had they had no excitement, and um, you know so going to that school and trying to show them a hey there can be change, but it it actually can be a growth oriented change and make an impact, improve student retention, change everything. And once we started using different data, presenting that. And changing kind of that that uh, a, a change in the framing of what was happening and how to solve the problem, you then saw excitement, energy, passion. Oh, I can be a part of a solution, not just at the whim of the CFO. Yeah, that. that you're that you're allowing creative power because, as you said. I, I was thinking about the early days of Ferris, you know, when it's just the two of us and our developer and we're trying to get clients and we're trying to build a business. And you were such a great boss to say like, Rachel, there's, of course, I hope we're going to make it, but you cannot live in a place where you're afraid we're not going to make it. Like, I'm going to hold that away from you so that you can talk to clients and build the software and be creative and be thoughtful and build all of the stuff that we need so that then we can be successful. Because if you come to work every day, in fact, we've known some people who do this, who would come to work and be like, I wake up every morning afraid, you know, that I'm not going to be successful, that I'm not going to be able to do what I need to do. And we're like, that is a terrible way to live. Also, you can't be successful. You can't, if you were, if you are under this weight of fear, you can't have creative power to then be able to say, here's what we're going to do in order to solve this problem. So I think that's really, really difficult especially given all of the things that are happening now that are making people fearful, right? It's hard to find that creative power um, to be able to do something. The other thing I want to say about the survival um, change is that we don't want to move away from it. Like don't turn off your survival change because it is still helpful. Like if a tiger comes after you, you still have to be able to survive, right? So good leaders have that survival change lens on and they're alert, but they're not overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, we're dying. What are we going to do? They're able to have this balance. And I think it's incredibly difficult if you think about how technology confuses our brain, because when I get a 4am email 
that feels like an emergency, even though it's not. Or when I get a text, it's like, hey, can you take care of this thing? And I feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to do something about this. So technology confuses us and makes us think we're running for our lives when really that can wait. And we don't have to respond with this surge of adrenaline where we have to fix it. So we're really fighting a hard battle to stay out of that survival place constantly um, to be, like I said, alert, but not overwhelmed with what are we going to do? There's everything is blowing up and it's an emergency. So I think it's, it's a really difficult place. We don't want it to be a distraction or a drain to us. We want to be able to then sit in a healthy place. So the next piece is thrive. So we want to move from survival change to thriving change. So Matt, can you tell us about that a little bit? Well, it's just, so in, in, you know, when, when you're looking at what's happening right now, where are the opportunities and how can you align your strengths to opportunities that you see? And, and so we've spent so much time talking about the, our weaknesses and our threats and, and focused on that, survive. But this is focused on, these are our strengths and these are the opportunities that we see. And, and when we look at these opportunities, um, how can we be innovative? What are some innovative things that we can do? What are some ways that we can build collaboration? I, you know, as we've talked about, uh, and, and as we unpack this over the next few weeks, it's really energizing to me. I like ideas. I thrive on ideas. So to be back in a place where I can talk about, hey, this is what we see ahead. Um, yeah. How can we take advantage of that? I love, we, we have um, so many great uh, friends, partners, clients who have taken on as, as, you, as they took on student success. Maybe they didn't have a lot of experience with student success in the past, but but this is a change that they embraced. And what you saw as they're using our system and, and talking with you is, is this new passion and new ideas. And hey, can I do this? And this is a way that I want to connect with faculty. Help yeah. me like how so I don't know. Thrive is about possibilities. It's about new opportunities. And and again, as we think about, well, um, you know, what do you know? What are you an expert in? How do you then leverage that as you look at, you know, yes, higher ed has is changing, the landscape is changing, but you have strengths to be able to match up with what's needed out there. As we talk about some of the, the gaps in K-12, some of the things that our schools are doing to, to partner with their local schools or, or top uh, recruiting high schools to be able to, to make connections with students, that's amazing. So there's a yeah. lot of opportunity uh, to innovate in this environment right now. And that's, that's really what Thrive is about. When, when you're feeling, um, you know, energy towards something, you know what, when you're thriving, uh, you, you know, when, when you're uh, ready to take on a, a new thing. And so that's what we're wanting to, to help our schools and, and our listeners today um, start thinking about what are those things that we do really well and how does that match up with uh, some of the unfolding opportunities. You know, Matt, as you're talking about that, it just makes me think in, in some ways we have to have permission to move out of survival change into thriving change. Um, because it's a, it's, there's punctuation there, right? It's like, we're so busy and we have so many things that we're worried about and so many things that are really hard and, the way that we've been living, which is we don't know, and then something new happens. And we just were in that mind frame 
And in some ways you need permission to be like, hold on, like, let's pause for a minute and figure out what's going to help you thrive. We said in one of our last podcasts, this is a, this is what we're asking all of our colleagues, right? As we're doing goal setting for this year, we're saying, what are the things that you need in order to thrive, not just in your position, but also in your life. And so the punctuation is a hold on one second. Let's, what if this could be a great day? I was telling you like the, the best example I have of this is like when I'm a slave to my calendar, when it's like, you have to do this and this and this and this, and I come in and I'm mad and I'm going to have a bad day and I'm in survival because I'm going from one meeting to the next, to the next, to the next. And you're like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, this is a stupid day. I hate it. I hate everything I'm doing. It's terrible. And then you're like, I'm canceling these three meetings with our team. You need some space to just be. And it's like, what happens when I move from that survival? Like everything is hard and it's, I hate it. And I'm just running from the lion to you being like, what if you had space in your day to be thoughtful and to take care of the things that are important and to think, right? That changes what we're talking about. And it, it settles my body down and also gives my mind this punctuation that says, Rachel, you don't have to be running for your life right now. You're allowed to have this space to thrive and be your best self so that then you can bring your creative energy to whatever the projects are that you're supposed to be doing. And well, so- it, it really comes down to taking time to take control over, over you know, maybe it's simple things, yeah. things that you can um, that you can bring order to, that you can bring control to that then puts you in a better place. So when you, when you're in survival mode, you don't have a lot of control. Yeah. Um, when, when you have the space, uh, take control that that can put you in that place of, of being innovative, thinking about the future more long-term. Yeah. It reminds me of, so Matt and I have this pastime of going to Starbucks in big cities. My favorite is in Chicago where we went to the Starbucks that's like under the train station. And so every seven minutes, the entire Starbucks is filled with people, like 30 people. And they have, what do you think? 15 baristas all doing these different jobs. It's like a dance. An orchestra, yeah. Yeah. And so everybody's doing a different thing. They serve the 30 people. They leave seven minutes later, 30 new people come in. So we love watching good baristas do their work. And we were at a Starbucks one time and they were totally in the weeds. It was just like survival. It was just like everybody, they were behind and they had all these things. And it was, yeah, it was a wreck. And the shift lead said to the, the restaurant, everybody in the restaurant, hey guys, I need, I'm sorry, we need three minutes. So just hold on, we're going to get it together. And then she said to all of her people, like, you finish filling the ice, you make your three drinks, don't take another order until you've done this. She basically said, we've got to move into Thrive. This is crazy town. Yeah, she took everybody, control. Yeah, everybody take a minute do what you need to do so that then we can go on to be really successful. And I was so impressed with her to have, first of all, to give them permission to move into this different kind of thinking, but also to have the courage to be like, I know we're in the weeds, but if we can stop for three minutes, we're going to be better off in the long run. And I think that's what we're talking about here is just a pause to do some good strategic long-term thinking um, so that you can set yourself up to be successful. She so. basically was like, Hey, remember what your craft is and your craft and your yeah. craft. take control of your craft. I love that. 
yeah, it was awesome. Okay. So your action items for today, um, I would just say the first thing is, can you be honest about what change you're going to embrace? Because it's okay for you to be like, Hey, sorry, I'm not to thriving yet. I'm going to embrace surviving change because that's where I am. And it's still harried and I'm kind of going crazy and I'm not ready to make the shift. That's okay. But I think it's helpful to articulate like, Nope, going to stay in survival mode for a little bit longer because that's where I am. That's okay. Um, Or for you to say, I recognize that I've been in survival mode, but maybe I don't have to be, or maybe there are areas where I don't have to be in that mode anymore. And I want to change to this thriving uh, mindset and thriving change. And so the first one, decide which change you're going to embrace. Because like I said, we don't have a choice of saying I don't want to change. We are, everything's changing. Um, We're not going to have the opportunity to go back to the way it was but we can decide what kind of change we're, we're ready for. And that's going to be different for everybody. The next thing is to just be thinking about your January goals. So remember, we love rhythm of the academic year because we have lots of starts and stops and ways to renew and think about what we want to do. What are the things you want to accomplish in the spring? What are the things that you want to accomplish for 2022? We're doing this with our team. And I was talking to Shauna and we're like, I don't think we did this last year. Like 2021, we didn't do goals because we were just in survival mode. So it's really nice to be able to be like, hey, time out. What are the things we want to accomplish? I would encourage you to do that. Please be sure you're completing the stress cycle. If that means like it means for me that I have to rant and rave after I have, you know, a meeting that makes me crazy, that's okay. You just have to figure out if it's exercising or, you know, whatever the thing is that you have to do so that you settle that adrenaline and that stress down because it really is not healthy, you know, to live in that place. And then also, Matt, you and I were saying just to make a list of the things that we've done to survive over the last two years, because again, that is survival, good work, right? Like all of the things you did to get through, good job. And you should celebrate those things and you should be proud of yourself for accomplishing those things. And I think sometimes because when you're running from the lion, you're not like, I'm doing an awesome job, right? You're in that crazy brain feeling. And so if you have time to look back and think, wow, I did these things really well to survive. I think that there is some celebration um, in that piece that that should be honored. Well, it's a really, I mean, so that survive piece, like you said, is a very important piece. And so to be able to reflect back and say, yeah, I, I did survive. These are the things that I accomplished. And hopefully how it has set you up then for this year and how you can approach this year yeah. and moving more toward that that thrive system. So, um, well, we're really excited to, to kick off change as our theme for the year. Please join us every Tuesday live. Um, as, as we go through. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just was going to say those of you who are, um, Ferris 360 clients remember speaking of January goals, Tomorrow morning at 10 central, we are kicking off our 12-week spotlight, which is going to help you get the most out of 360. We're going to do roundtable discussions. I think we have something like 70 of our clients going to join us. And so if you want to be part of those community discussions, you should have gotten an email from us. But if not, feel free to email me. I think it's going to be a really helpful community time for us. So I'm looking forward to that. And if you are not a Ferris 360 client, you should be one. So you should talk to me about that as well. So thanks for joining me, Matt. It's always a joy. Yeah. You guys have a great day.